Hi there, and welcome to the Crypto Frontier. I'm Jonathan Miller, Managing Director of Kraken Australia, and I'm glad you could join me out here on the Crypto Frontier. This show will explore the latest in market data trends and go behind the scenes and explore the technology that powers what we call the future of finance. Now for some of the latest news in crypto brought to you by Kraken Intelligence. Bitcoin core developers announced the release of the 22nd version of the client. It's the first major release as part of the Taproot upgrade, which is intended to expand Bitcoin's smart contract flexibility while enhancing its scalability and user privacy. It also provides a UI for hardware wallets, which means that users can now connect a Bitcoin core wallet to external devices like Ledger, Trezor and Coldcard. On the regulatory front, the US Treasury is preparing a report on stable coins and their potential risks to the financial system to present to the President's Working Group for Financial Markets, though it is unclear when the Working Group plans to meet. On the institutional side, Fidelity Digital Assets, the crypto-focused wing of global asset manager Fidelity, surveyed 1,100 investors across the globe on their investment behaviour and view of digital assets such as crypto. 90% of respondents found digital assets appealing, particularly for their high potential upside. Okay, that's all the news today. For more insight, make sure you subscribe to Kraken Intelligence at kraken.com. Now for my guest on today's show, it's Tim Goggin, who heads up Horizon State. Tim, thanks so much for joining me on today's episode. Can you just tell me a little bit about your history, you know, how you came to crypto? Thank you very much for having me, Jonathan. Uh, well, my crypto journey began about 2013. Uh, originally, um, that spawned because I had a strong interest in economics and technology. Uh, I studied both of those things at uh, university, so economics and information systems. And weirdly enough, the intersection of those two things kind of leads you straight to uh, cryptocurrency. And, um, I know as it a, well. <laughs> I'm the same. <laughs> As a young economics student, I, I, I saw a lot of inequities in the financial system that I couldn't really justify allowing to exist any longer, despite not really having the power to make change myself. So a lot of my, for, for example, quantitative easing, um, aided uh, reckless government spending um, that just destabilized our economies. And, and in my view, it was benefiting the wealthy and powerful through no effort of their own uh, at the expense of everyone else. So I had a personal philosophical problem with that. And in, in earlier in my life, I was got a little bit more interested in, in politics, being like, let's change the existing system from the inside, um, which, you know, is kind of like trying to join the mafia and change it from the inside sometimes <laughs> when, you, when you try to change a, a gigantic organisation. But we all try to play our role. Um, but one day I just, <laughs> to be honest, I just saw this guy on um, Facebook talking about mining Dogecoin. And I was like, oh, okay, what's this hash rate thing? And I just bought a new computer and I just plugged in my... You know, I downloaded CT Miner, started mining some uh, Dogecoin, and um, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And um, then I kind of did a bit of reading on it, and I was like, oh, wow, this stuff's worth actual money. Um, and then from there, I, I kind of learned more about what blockchain was and what it meant for, um, you know, transactions between two people, trustless economies and stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, this is actually the answer to everything that um, I believe in. This is, this is that reset opportunity. 
um, that we've been looking for. So no longer did I um, try to sort of change the existing uh, global framework. I was like, let's actually create something else, which is amazing. And then everyone else will come to use it if we can build something of value to society. So, um, you know, from there, I just, I, 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 uh, I created this uh, cryptocurrency back in the day called Dnotes. That was in 2014. Um, back then, there was like 40 coins on Coin Market Cap, um, and and that, that was a lot of fun. And uh, about five years later, I found myself at Horizon State. That's a really amazing story, and and I guess there's probably a bunch of stuff in between. But I really want to learn more about what you're doing with Horizon State. And I, I guess the first place to start would be, you know, to get you to give us and our listeners the the kind of elevator pitch on on what you're doing and uh, you did talk about solving problems but what is the you know what is the specific problem that you're solving you know with your with your venture what horizon state is doing is we are trying to solve the lack of transparency and trust in our government institutions and also enterprise at the same time um, by making elections more accessible and secure. So we've seen this trend around the world of voter apathy. A lot of people are becoming um, a lot more disillusioned um, who are living within um, democracies, Western democracies, and just fewer people are just engaging at all levels of government now. So whether that be um, uh, elections that provide governments um, with, with critical information for them to make decisions on. So like if they asked everyone in society, you know, what do you want? Do you want um, do you want to fight climate change and spend like a billion dollars on that? Do you want to spend a billion dollars on a new you know mall or you know what what have you in the city centre? Do you want new new water water pipes through the city centre or something like that? Um, you know because in economies resources are scarce, so we can only kind of often have one or the other at a time. But if we don't provide that information to our leaders, they it's a lot harder for them to make the right decisions. And if they don't make the right decisions, you know, it's not good for society as a whole because we're not, you know, necessarily getting what we want. And it's not necessarily good for the political leaders either because it makes them a lot more likely to be voted out because they're not providing value um, for their communities. And this is actually quite, it's the same thing for, for businesses as well. Um, but the cost for businesses tends to be, it affects their bottom line. So if you, if you annoy your customers, if you don't provide them what you want, if you, um, if, if your corporate culture um, is a little bit off and you, you don't, you know, find out what you need to learn about your corporate culture or, or you know, you, you engage in the wrong practices. For a lot of people today are very passionate about, you know, climate issues that I mentioned before and you might be a wealth management fund and you're, you know, you're, you're fully invested in weapons and oil and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you might risk losing a lot of your customers. So, you know, if you're not keeping tabs on, what your stakeholders want, you know, you can lose your, you can start losing employees. You can, um, you start losing brand loyalty. This affects your revenues, bottom lines. Um, and so it's actually really critical for, you know, organizations to consider what they're doing when they're collecting information um, from the public um, and what they're allowing the public to see, um, as well as, um, you know, the election side, which is Horizon State is a lot, a lot better known for because, you know, especially local government levels like I'm, a, I'm from New Zealand I live in live in Melbourne uh, but our local elections in New Zealand are like 40 percent uh, participation and it's not really any different than Australia and we've seen general declines 
um, even in federal elections. It's still quite high, the participation in Australia, because that's only because it's compulsory. So we're trying to focus on those three main things, which really are trust, transparency, and uh, accessibility just when it comes to elections and, and data collection. Um, but I'll probably go a little bit into how, how we actually do this. So the way that we achieve the, the transparency in our elections is we, we're using blockchain technology, um, and a lot of people will be familiar with this from um, Bitcoin, et cetera, where you can, you can see um, all of the transactions that are going um, across the network, and, and no one can interrupt your transaction. Um, it's like freedom of speech, but written as code. Um, so, so that's really cool. But what we're doing is instead of giving transparency over, you know, uh, financial transactions, we're, we're in, because blockchains are also known as being highly secure, they're very, very difficult, not nearly impossible to alter um, or make changes to once, it, um, once information or data is published to them. So what we're doing is we're getting votes and we are processing or publishing votes to the blockchain giving voters a direct link to their vote on the blockchain so that they can see that their vote was um, recorded and counted correctly. And at the end of an election or engagement, they can they get the, the full um, election smart contract or, or whatnot on the blockchain, uh, depending on what network we're using. And they can, if they want, audit the election uh, themselves or use third-party auditing tools to just make sure that everything's above board. So through that process, we're just basically allowing people to, to, to trust the whole process rather than what happens at the moment, um, especially where it's all, it's all a closed door process. You, you Often it's done by paper. Um, if it's a postal election, it's even, you've got, a lot, you've got even more issues because they get lost in the mail. People get more than one vote sometimes, et cetera. But you'll, you'll, you'll tick the candidate that you want and you then go ahead and you just put it in the postal box and you never see it again. You don't know if it was counted. You don't know what happened to it. You don't know if you know if someone threw it away or, or who counted it or if there was an error in the system or whatever. So we're trying to provide that sort of level of certainty around, around uh, making sure that our voices are actually heard. And these things are actually quite common, these, these issues. Um, with with um, our current election. So Western Australia, for example, um, in 2013, 1,400 votes went missing uh, in, the, in the elections there. And they had to completely redo it because it was in the margin of error and it cost $20 million to redo. It's a really timely you know, problem to solve, especially with people um, being less able to you know, appear in person at, at the voting booth. And, um, and I, I guess, you know, there's, there's a bunch of questions that come bubbling to the top for me. And, and one of those is about, firstly, the penetration of the technologies required to be able to execute this. Um, you know, what, what is needed uh, for your system to operate and, and what's the degree of competence required by the end user? Because I know that, you know, a lot of blockchain-related uh, platforms I was watching a video just the other night and it kind of reminded me of the early internet, you know, syncing your wallet up to the right network, making sure you're on the, on the correct network for your wallet. Uh, and then you can interact with the protocol and you can, you know, it, it's, it's rife, you know, with, it's, it's, it's intrepid. It's exciting. It's amazing. But at the same time, there's a lot of up margin for error. So, so how do you guys solve for the, 
for the kind of end, the edge, the last millimeter, let's say, the last inch of this of this experience. Well, I'm actually really glad you asked that question because it's probably an important thing that I um, speak to. So, if we look at a lot of the general blockchain solutions around at the moment, they are or have been at the least, they are improving, um, but for the most part, very difficult to use. Um, a lot of people, like, if you go talk to grandma and be like, okay, this is what a private key is, um, and this is how you unlock a wallet, and this is how you do, you know, this is how you process your vote and look at the blockchain, like, that's that's probably going to be quite difficult for a lot of people, and it's going to be a huge barrier to using uh, software. And, and that's, you know, that's one of the big things that we looked at uh, when we were creating Horizon State, or when... A lot of other people in the team were, were working on building the software. And so the, the ethos was, it's like, look, we could create this, like you've got to manage your own private keys and do this and do that. It's going to be really, really hard to use. But then the platform is essentially going to become useless. If people don't know how to use it, it's not usable. Um, so in, in the long term, that might be a really, really great solution. We can have like this amazing ultra-level security, um, you know, just because we've, gone the most difficult route <laughs> to, to build the software, but it's no one's going to be able to use it. So we've kind of taken more of a hybrid approach of making, still using blockchain, still keeping it really secure, but making it extremely easy to use, just like any, any application that people in today's societies are used to using on a daily basis, like their, say, internet banking or, you know, any app that you're using on your phone, social media, for example. So we've managed to reduce the difficulty um in essence you just log in we depending on the authentication system that um, a customer wants to use so we do allow anyone to use any authentication system they want but the most simple one would be just two fa two-factor authentication someone could provide their say email address they could type that into our platform they would then get an email with a code they can grab that code they can put the code into the Horizon State uh, voting portal. That would then um, allow them into uh, the voting portal or unlock the voting portal. And at that point, they can just basically click around. Um, I can't show you at the moment because this is an audio call, but we have a few basic features in there which are actually quite probably relevant to discuss. For example, you know, when you normally go and vote in an election, um, it's just a bunch of names and you tick one, but it doesn't say anything about who they are and what they stand for or anything like that. So we've included all of that kind of information within the voting portal. So if it's like an enterprise doing a, you know, a vote for a director, you can read their CV and then make your decision. If it was a council election, you could um, see what policies they're all about and, you know, what party they belong to and, you know, how many kids they have, what their dog's name is, et cetera. Um, so you can get a good view of, you can make the most educated decision possible before you actually go cast a vote, which is the most fundamental, fundamentally important decision um, that we make in our societies because these people spend billions of dollars on our behalf because we vote for them, right? So, so we do that, but at that point, you literally just have to go in. You can you can find your person that you want to vote for, put a little technique, you know, click your mouse next to them. It's a pretty elegant, easy to use uh, platform. But you just you know, click on the person that you would like to vote for, click next, and then what we do. So that's all the user has to do. They don't actually have to engage with the blockchain themselves. They just have to cast a vote like they would on any other sort of voting software. But what we've gone and done is we've gone and done the complicated interfacing with the blockchain on the user's behalf in the background. 
So we've just made a really, really simple front end and taken care of all of the heavy lifting on, on the user's behalf. And then at the end of the voting process, we say, here is your vote. Um, you can click on it here. You can go, you know, see, check that it's, um, check that you voted for the same person that you, um, you know, selected uh, in the voting process, which is something that, you know, people haven't been able to do up until now. Um, and then at the close of the election, um, you can't give live um, voting results to um, two people because you, you run into the issue of you can affect the outcome of that vote. It's like, oh, this person's like 20% ahead. I'm going to vote for the winner, right? But you can't, it, that's not a good idea generally to do. So it'll be at the close of an election um, that, you know, the results are published and people can go um, view, um, audit audit the election uh, on their own. So just to rehash all of that, we've basically tried to simplify it as much as possible so that people don't even realise that they're using blockchain. And in the future, when when the technology, you know, advances a little bit and, it, you know, everything else like key management and stuff becomes a little bit easier or when, when education of the general public about blockchain and using these types of products improves, I think we could look to expanding towards that kind of model to do in tandem. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously on the menu for, for you know, future development for you guys. But I think, you know, before we get to the future, uh, I think it's really fascinating that you're giving people line of sight over the the voting process. And you have touched on some of the categories of um, of use cases. But can you tell me about some of the, um, you know, you mentioned governments, you mentioned businesses. What who have you been working with and who has been using, you know, this system so far? We've got to break this up kind of into two different sections. There's elections uh, or voting, and then there's also like surveys. Uh, we do both, right? Um, but, you know, pretty much every organization uses surveys for, for whatever purpose. So we'll just say that that's, you know, often people need that and it could be anyone or even an individual. But when it comes to the election and voting side of things, um, there are a lot of organizations that do require uh, secure elections, and these are often mandated by law. So they have to do it um, periodically. So, um, of course, uh, governments that are, you know, state, uh, local and uh, federal, uh, you know, prime examples of um, governments that need to um, that need to host elections. Uh, you've got enterprises which need to use it for like AGMs, their annual general meetings every year. Uh, you know, board uh, board voting, uh, shareholder resolutions, um, any other type of engagement with their shareholders, which can periodically come up. Um, there can be a lot of um, you know indigenous uh, tribe um, voting on um, settlements, like in New Zealand, for example, with the Maori iwi. Uh, they're they're um, very common over there. Um, there's uh, unions, sports clubs, body corporates, you know, you live in a big building. Do I want a new swimming pool? Do I want to, you know, spend money on a new footpath? Uh, do I want to change the rules on, on pets in the building? Um, you know, non-government organizations, um, you know, pretty much every organization you can think of will ho have elections at some time. Um, but there's also like the, the things that they use it forward to. So like a, you know, a union might use it for an enterprise bargaining agreement. So it's this, you know, there's elections, there's straight voting, there's, there's board meetings, there's shareholder resolutions, there's <laughs> enterprise bargaining agreements, or it could just be like a poll as well. So yeah, there's there's so many different ways um, for, for, for different organizations and, and different ways to use the product. Um, and in terms of people that we've already worked with, um, 
where if you worked with, for example, um, there's a Housing New Zealand subsidiary called HLC, uh, and we were helping them with uh, surveying uh, for a $1.5 billion housing redevelopment in Porirua in New Zealand. Uh, we also worked with, uh, there's a city council, which I won't name. I don't think we're supposed to, but yeah, we have worked with city councils in Australia. Uh, we've worked with the uh, South Australian state government. Um, uh, we've worked with, you know, um, political parties in New Zealand, like the Opportunities Party. Um, there's a few award ceremonies we've worked with. But one thing I do want to get a, get a fix on here is be great to get a feel from you as to what the main reason these organisations are coming to you. Uh, I, I think it's um, it's clear why an end user would want to have better better voting, but what, what is the main reason that's driving them to you guys instead of just using the same old tools they've, they've been using so far? Oh, so I think there are several things um, and, and different clients like different aspects of our system. So we have had customers come to us and they don't care about the blockchain aspect at all. That's not why they're actually coming to us. They're coming to us because our authentication systems are um, a lot more secure or, or more advanced than anything else that they've been able to find. So um, for one of them, for example, is the fact that we can double hash um, or any any voters that go through our system. So uh, what that means is, um, for anyone that's not familiar with what a hash is, uh, basically you can get your name, like, you know, John Smith, and you can scramble up John Smith into a big, long string of, like, numbers and letters, like 1B4, A25, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then it becomes, uh, basically they become anonymous. So if you can imagine, before Horizon State, Horizon State is not provided um, the name John Smith as a voter necessarily. We will be given his email address maybe. But like his hash code will just will be like scrambled up as like a bunch of random numbers and letters. But then what we do is we take that, like the, the problem with that is the customer or the government or whoever the customer is will still be able to identify John Smith because they can just look at their Excel spreadsheet and be like, okay, John Smith is like, his number was like one, two, three, four, five as an example. So they could still work out who he was and how he voted on the blockchain because that number is going to go on the blockchain. However, what we do is we then go hash that uh, string again. So if it, if, John, if, if it went from John Smith to 12345, we take that 12345 and then we change it to like 678910. I mean, this is way oversimplified because it'll, be, it'll look a lot different than that. But now what we've actually got, so we've now – that number is communicated to John Smith at the time of his voting. So he knows what random string of numbers belongs to him on the blockchain. So when he looks at his vote, he knows which one is his. But Horizon State will have no idea if he voted or who he voted for. The government or enterprise or the client or his boss or whoever it is that's running the election, they will also have no idea who he is, if he voted or how he voted. Um, so there's that level of anonymity that we can provide that like no one else seems to be doing out there. So that, that's one example, but we've had other people come to us and say, um, you know, we really need someone that can be trusted as an independent um, party to run this election for us because, you know, people in our area or, or whatnot, they, they're not too, not too fond of us or, you know, trust in our organization isn't that high. Um, and we want to we want to take our hands off the whole process and, and basically point to you guys and be like an external independent party has run this um, election or, or survey or whatnot. Um, and, and we can, they can verify 
um, that everything was run above board um, and, and, you know, there's no, like, marginalised groups having their voices suppressed or anything like that. Um, so it's basically they'll, they'll use us as a way to, to boost trust across all groups um, in, the, in the community that, um, that live, live in their area. I appreciate that. And, and I guess one thing I do want to ask you before, before we wrap is, um, you know, what underlying technology are you using when it comes to the, to the blockchain side? Which, which networks are you publishing into and, and do you plan to, to revisit that and, and look at others? Oh, we absolutely plan to. Um, the way our system works is we've built it to be as um, customizable as possible because we knew that, like, when we go to any, any you know, different customers are going to want different things and have different priorities. So one customer might be like, oh, we want to use this authentication system. Another customer might be like, you know, a government might be like, we want to use MyGov, the Australian um you know, ident digital identity um, platform. Uh, you know, another one might want to use something completely different or just use one of ours, like, you know, 2FA or, you know, SMS authentication, something really simple, right? So that's one example. Um, and we, we cater to all of that. But on the other end, we also cater to people that might have different priorities when it comes to what blockchain they use. Um, our, we do have several others, um, but we the one that we actually use um, at the moment by preference is NEM. Um, and we use NEM because it's a really fast network. Um, it's there's um, it's quite easy to publish data the way that we want to structure it going into onto the NEM blockchain. Um, and uh, they're they're still like a I think they're like a top twenty, top top fifty uh, crypto. It's still quite large, um, but that's that's one of the ones that we use at the moment. But you know, a, another customer might say, hey, um, we really care about. Oh, and NEM also have a really decent transactions per second. Um, but, you know, another customer might require, they might not care so much about security one day and they might say, we want a million transactions per second. You know, you know that would be like an extreme example, but, you know, we can just simply go integrate into, you know, whatever network can, can cater uh, to a million transactions uh, per second. Um, you know, another one might not care about the cost and they'll be like, we want to use Ethereum because it's got more nodes and it's more secure. You know, it really depends on what the customer wants. But, um, yeah, we, we definitely uh, plan to expand the number of blockchains um, that we integrate into and support. Um, most of the work's already done in terms of um, us being able to do that. It's um, just a few small changes for each network and, and making sure that there's no special, you know, development integrations necessary for in terms of that particular blockchain because um, some of them have different um, development tools. Well, that, that sounds pretty sound to me. And look, I, I want to thank you for, for joining me on today's show. Before before you go, what's you know what is next? Give me give me a, a quick summary of what what's coming over the horizon for Horizon State. Oh, <laughs> I like what you did there. Um, well, so currently um, we are talking to potential investors so that we can um, really scale up our, our operation. Um, we're onloading some clients at the moment, um, and people will probably hear more about that in the next sort of uh, three weeks when it becomes obvious that it's us providing the election. Um, and also actually just yesterday, um, we've been doing quite a bit of work for, um, it's an organization called Exaligov. They're a big United States based, um, smart city competition. Uh, they, they run like the world's biggest smart city, um, organization slash competition. Um, and Horizon State entered, um, and it started with 500 entrants. Uh, they, 
it went down to 50 semi-finalists, which we were in that. Um, and, and last night we found out that we're one of the final 10. Um, what's actually going to happen is if we win this pilot submission, we'll go out to many, many cities around the world and a whole bunch of cities will be able to look at our pilot submission. Like and our, our concept is obviously like a more of a direct democracy, you know, increased trust in your organization type of um, type of thing. Um, we can get a whole lot of cities actually bidding to work with us to implement our software um, in their in their city or, or, or government or, or whatnot, and we get to choose which city that we work with. So um, that's quite exciting. Uh, we only just found out about that. Um, but that those are the uh, main things on the um, near-term horizon for us. How exciting. Well, thanks for, for, for sharing that with us and, and, and good luck with that, with that competition. R- really appreciate your time today, Tim, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the next couple of weeks and, and years for you guys. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Thanks everyone for joining me on this show and for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and review on your podcast platform of choice and we'll make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. Until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller and this has been the Crypto Frontier.